Well, good morning. I got a little extra echo here. I don't know. It's, it's the halls of heaven. That's what it is. It's resonating this morning. Um, I am, uh, I am really excited to dive in here. My name is uh, John Allen. For those of you that are new, welcome to Risen Church. Um, we have our work cut out for us this morning. As you can see, I've got a little extra here for you. We're going to really dive in. <laughs> um, just over a year now, it's been over a year that we've been walking through the book of Revelation in our series called Victory Unveiled. Um, it is a wild book, and it has been a wild ride, and it has been a wild year, um, but I hope that this has been an, as encouraging to you as it has been for me. We haven't skipped over any of the difficult parts. We've gone verse by verse through this beast, and I guess it isn't a beast. It describes the beast. i got to stick to my notes. we got a lot to do. Um, so I, even the really intense parts of this amazing letter have been saturated with hope. We've seen the physical veil lifted before our eyes. It's been pulled back, and the Spirit has shed light on who actually holds the victory even now over our circumstances. Now, today, in the 21st century. That's what we're seeing. Revelation is a letter that was originally written to the first century church as a letter of encouragement and hope in the midst of really difficult circumstances. And so as we read it, and as we read it as it was intended to be read, right, the way that the first century would have received it, we see just how relevant and encouraging it actually is for us now in the 21st century. Um, and so I couldn't be more excited to dive into the passage that we have before us this morning. Um, it is absolutely saturated with hope. Like, we've got a spiritual feast before us this morning. And I, I hope you're hungry. Are you hungry? You better be. Like, I hope you brought extra stomachs. Because this morning, like, we, we're presented with the most detailed vision of heaven in the entire Bible. And we're going to dig in. Now, there's a lot here. In fact, uh, I want to encourage you to take notes um, and even go back and listen online because this is going to be one of those meals where you're going to need a to-go bag, okay? <laughs> like, I want you to see this vision of a future heaven, but I want you to see that this vision of a future heaven is also available to you in Christ right now. On this side of heaven. Again, we're not talking about society's understanding of what heaven is like. I'm talking about the real heaven, the heaven of the Bible. I'm not talking about weird floating babies playing harps. That's not what we're talking about. There's nothing about that in the Bible. That's strange. Like, and by the way, humans, this is just a side note, humans do not become angels when they die. They do not. Amen? Amen? Humans do not become angels when we, when we die. That Humans and angels are totally separate species of creation. Um, and, and so, again, but I want to point that out to you just to show you that there is a crazy interpretation of what heaven is that has way more to do in our modern culture with, like, Greco-Roman myths about, like, Mount Olympus than it has with the biblical vision. So... What we're going to see here is that the Bible presents us with a heaven that is on earth. It's the restoration of all that we were ultimately created for. Like if you think about heaven and you're like, man, I don't know, that's weird, it's ethereal. Like I don't know if my, if your heart doesn't leap for joy when you think about heaven, it's because you're not thinking about the real heaven. Okay? So this is the satisfaction of all that we actually hunger and thirst for from the depths of who we are. This is why Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, so a couple of weeks ago, we've, uh, we walked through Revelation 20, which presented three visions to us. All right, the first was a vision of the reign of Christ, followed by a vision of the final and total defeat of Satan. And then, and the title of that sermon was, Victory Unveiled, Your Kingdom Come. Say, Your Kingdom Come. Then we finished chapter 20 with a vision of the final judgment um, and a sermon that was called or titled, Your Will Be Done. Say, Your Will Be Done. Last week, we opened chapter 21 with a vision of heaven coming to the earth 
And the title of that sermon was, On Earth As It Is In Heaven. Say, On Earth As It Is In Heaven. And so this morning, we're going to feast on this detailed description of face-to-face eternity with the God of eternity and the Lamb of God, who is Christ, who is also referred to himself, he refers to himself as the bread of life. So, the title of the sermon, can you guess it? Give us this day our daily bread. We're going to talk about that this morning. We're not just going to read about this vision of heaven. We're not just going to hear about it. We're going to feast on it. And I want you to take it home with you. I want you to take it to work with you. I want you to take it to wherever you go. I want you to take stock of it. I want you to ingest this vision into your very souls. I want this to nourish you from the inside out. I want to drink directly from the river of life this morning, who is the Holy Spirit. And I want to eat directly from the fruit of the tree of life this morning, which as we will see is the cross of Christ. And my hope is... That just when your souls are salivating for more of the Lord, that we're then going to take communion together. And we're going to eat of the bread of life, which is his body broken for us. And we're going to drink from the cup of grace, which is his blood poured out like a river from the cross. You're going to need spiritual eyes this morning. You're going to need spiritual eyes to even understand what I just talked about. If you don't, you're going to think we're like cannibals or something. It's going to be weird. Okay? You're going to need to see this with a spiritual lens and a biblical understanding, okay? I also have good news for you. We have the Holy Spirit here with us. So I want to invite you to engage your heart, mind, soul, and strength and lean into him because I want you to get these powerful images deep in your soul. So turn with me to Revelation 21. We're going to read from, whew, I'm definitely going to need the Holy Spirit this morning. We're going to read from Revelation 21, verse 9, all the way to Revelation 22, chapter 5. I mean, verse 5. All right? So, then we're going to drop back and we're going to feast on this gospel of the kingdom together. All right. Here's what I want you to get this morning. All right? If you get nothing else, here's what I want you to get. We aren't just called to associate with Christianity. We are called to feast daily on the full measure of of the love of God in Christ. He is our daily bread. So we aren't just called to associate with Christianity. Like it's not just a religion that you check a box on. We are called to feast daily on the full measure, say full measure, of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He is our daily bread. Matthew 5, verse 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Those who hunger and thirst for anything else, they won't be satisfied. Last week, Jesus declared to us in Revelation 21, verse 6, he said this, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. So my question for you this morning is, do you thirst for the living God? Do you hunger for more of Jesus? So often people become fixated on whether or not they're saved. But that's really not the right question. The question isn't, are you saved? The question is, do you thirst? If you don't, then I hope this message will whet your appetite. And I pray that you would ask God to give you that hunger and that thirst. Because this is the God who answers those kinds of prayers. He's the source of our hunger and the source of our thirst that even is for him. So let's set aside that sort of like spiritually anemic attitude that society and culturally dry religion has. That's just trying to do enough to get by. Let's set that aside. And let's feast On the glory of God. Amen? I pray this becomes your DNA. This becomes your fuel for life. All right. You guys with me? Let's dive in. Revelation 21. We start with verse 9. Here we go. 
Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy, the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like, the most, like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. What? <laughs> The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, or agate, I don't know how you say that. The fourth em emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chryso chrysoprase, Chrysoprase, I have no idea. The 11th, Jacinth. The 12th, Amethyst. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw, chapter 22, woo, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no light there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. <sighs> All right, here we go. First, before we go here and, and kind of dive in, I, I want to give you a quick visual to help you understand when this kingdom will fully manifest and where we are currently, okay? Can we do that? So bear with me. Um, I know many of you are visual, so I'm going to try and go full on like visual teacher aid. Can you guys all see this right here? Okay. Um, so I am not a fantastic artist, but we're going to give it a shot here, okay? So um, this is the Garden of Eden, not it's a piece of paper and a marker but just bear with me here so if this was the garden right here bloop, all right Eden got it this is Eden and then here's our timeline right so this is Adam and Eve and they bit the apple and they fell right and they fell out of um relationship or intimacy with God, right? That happened there. And then here we have the fall. Okay? You like my sound effects? Too much Nintendo. All right, so, and then here's the return of Christ. Got it? Return of Christ. This is where Jesus came back. And then here is, the timeline continues, all right? And then here, or not the return, this is his first incarnation. I'm sorry, this is where he first came, Okay? And then, so this is first coming right here. If you can't see that, it's so tiny, it says first coming, okay? I'm going to use colors here in a minute so you can all see it, all right? Um, and then we keep going here, all right? And then we have his return, 
Boom, second coming. I broke my thumb a long time ago, so I don't have good handwriting. All right. Okay, and then this is the second coming, okay? And then this timeline kind of shifts back up, and this is eternity with him. Eternity, so it doesn't end. It keeps on going. It stretches down the first street, wraps around the Atlantic Ocean, comes back around, goes to Mars, does a double loop, heads out to eternity, and it continues forever and ever 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 and ever. Got it? All right, so here we are. Where are we in this timeline? We are right in here somewhere. Got it? That's where we are. And this is heaven. This is eternity. This is the new creation. So we've got Eden. Right? Eden. And then we've got his first coming right here. This is where Jesus came the first time. And then here we are, right here. And this is the kingdom of heaven. Right? But this is also the kingdom of heaven. We live in the overlap. This is at a second coming. This is when he will destroy death. We live in the overlap. We live in what's called the already and not yet. We live spiritually risen in Christ. We've been talking about this. And this continues. Got me? You got that visual? Now, I don't know where we are in this timeline. We might be here. We might be here. We might be here. I don't know. Neither do you. Anybody says they know, they're wrong. Okay? Revelation is not about trying to figure out where you are in this timeline. Revelation is about telling you that you are in this timeline, and therefore, how shall we live? Got me? So back to Revelation 21, verse 9. All right. Verse 9 said, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away to this, in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. Got it? From God. So this is a vision of the church also known as the Bride of Christ. She is mesmerizingly beautiful to the Lord. That's what we're seeing. So again, the expectation, though, here is that he sees a bride. He's expecting to see a bride, but instead what he sees is a vision of a city. Throughout Revelation, this has been the case, right? That God's people are both a place and a people. We've seen this throughout this series, like it's where, where Jesus reigns in the hearts of his people, there also is his kingdom. With me? So we have a sense of this even now on the earth, especially as we gather together as his church. Right? But here we see the physical. We're now looking at the physical full, absolute physical full return of Jesus Christ and the manifestation of this physical reality upon the earth as heaven and earth are, boom, brought together completely. Okay? And so the language that's used is that this people are also a place. Just as the bride was described as being adorned in fine linen and jewels in the past chapters, right? The city is also described as shimmering with the exquisite glory of God. So verse 11 Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Jasper was like a super smooth stone. It still is. So it's, it, that, that's what it's articulating there. And it's as clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, there were three gates. On the south, you get three gates. And then on the west, there are these three gates. So the high walls in, of a city in ancient times, an ancient city's high walls were built uh, as like a safety from enemies. It was a feeling of refuge, right? That you're surrounded by safety. 
And so this is a description here um, that these 12 gates, right, this is the opening. Then you get 12 gates, again, three on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. It reminds me of something Jesus said in Luke 13, verse 29, where he said, and people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. So what he's saying there and what this is articulating is that these are people coming from all over the world. You've got to remember, this is to Jewish people who had originally thought this was only for Jewish people. They thought the kingdom of heaven was just for them because they missed the fact that God had promised Abraham that he would be a blessing. He's blessing him to be a blessing to all nations. That that was his covenant that he had established with him in Genesis 12. So these are people coming from all over the world, and this is the fulfillment of God's promise and covenant that he had made with Abraham in Genesis 12, and that he and his descendants would be blessed as a blessing to the whole world. That it's through them that the world would all come to salvation. So all of the promises of God to his covenant people find their fulfillment right here in this new creation, heaven on earth earth that's what's being described people from the north the south the east the west all of them can come in through these gates got me you got the image we're going to keep fleshing this out verse 14 and the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the lamb remember read this with spiritual eyes if you're having trouble putting all this stuff together in your head to get one image It's because you're not supposed to get one image. It doesn't fit together. It doesn't make sense unless you look at it spiritually. Okay, so follow with me. Remember that Jesus chose 12 apostles for his ministry. Remember the 12 disciples? There's a signifier here that the new Israel will include both Jew and Gentile. Here's what I mean. Look at this. Ephesians 2 verse 19 through 22 says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, so he's talking to the church, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. The saints is a reference to all the people of God throughout history. You got me? So he says, you, Greek, Gentile, non-Jewish people, he says, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints. You're members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's Old Testament people and that's New Testament people. You got me? The authority of the Old Testament and the authority of the New Testament. This is the foundation. And Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. So that foundation of a building is all set in reference and orientation to that cornerstone. If the cornerstone is turned slightly, then so is the rest of the foundation. You understand? So it's all about Jesus. He is the cornerstone. And the apostles and prophets are articulating who he is to the world. Got me? I told you, there's a lot going on here. Verse 21, it says this, in whom... Right, So Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's talking about the church. It's talking about you. First Peter calls you living stones for the house of the Lord. So remember, remember that what we're being presented with here isn't just a place, it's a people, okay? It's not just a building, it's not just a city, it's a bride. This is what it's all about. This is the access that we have to him now uh, spiritually, and it's going to come to for full fruition physically at his return. So heaven is the ultimate embrace of the love of God in Christ for eternity. And this is everything. Like, we want you to drink this in. I want you to drink him in. I want, this, is, this is a call, again, to feast your eyes on the grace of God. This is our daily bread, that we understand that we have access to him now, that it is you, church. It is your unity. It is your body that is the temple of God Almighty. Now. 
So each week we commission you with Ephesians 3.20. At the end of every service, we, we, we commission you saying now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work outside of you. No, according to the power at work within you. And then we say, go with God. You've been commissioned. You've not just been sent out alone by yourself. You've been co-missioned with one another and the Spirit of God himself. And the power at work within you is unleashed when you behold the love of God in Christ. That's the key. In fact, let's drop back and read what Ephesians 3, 14 through 19 says just before verse 20. It says this. This is Paul talking to the church. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. In other words, he's talking to you. He's saying, you're a part of the family. This is who I'm praying to, and this is what I'm praying about for you. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So this is the reason he bows in prayer before the Lord on behalf of the church. This is his desire for you, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have then, when you're rooted and grounded in love, then you'll have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, talking about Old Testament people of God and New Testament, all of them, that cloud of witnesses throughout history, you will be able to comprehend with all of them, all of them, the breadth and length and height and depth And to know the love of God, or I'm sorry, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God one day when you die. No. Now. More visual. Nah, we can do it. I got room. You got it? You know what it says? It says the height and the depth And the width and the length. You see this? Can you see it? What is it? What is it? Can you see it? It's a cube. It's a cube. It's a horrible cube, but it's a cube. What what do I need to do? Hannah, look at this. She's trying to make it better. You're welcome to. (laughs) Ephesians 3. This is a cube. This is his desire that you understand the height, depth, length, and width, and the fullness of what is this talking about. It's the love of God in Christ Jesus. And it surpasses knowledge. It's beyond understanding. It's all of this, though, it doesn't mean understanding's not good. It means it's beyond it. It transcends it. It goes beyond because it's relational. It's personal. It's alive. This is what he desires for you. You may be filled with the fullness of God. This is what we feast on. You got me? This is his desire for you now. He wants you to plumb the depths of God's love for you in Christ. He wants you to get the full measure of it. He wants you to tenaciously press into it with your heart and your mind, your soul, and your strength. He wants you to comprehend the breadth of it, the length of it, the height of it, and the depth of it to get the full comprehensive measure of the love that God has for you in Christ Jesus. And he wants you to get it now. Not just one day when you die. He wants you to get it right now. And he wants you to testify to it. And he wants to testify you to testify to the grace that you've received and this amazing relationship that you have to the rest of the world now. Now. In fact, did you know that there is only one good thing on this side of heaven that we can do that will not carry over into eternity? One thing. There's only one amazing, God-anointed, glorious thing that you can do on this side of heaven that you will not be able to do for eternity. You know what it is? Share the gospel not marriage. Marriage is going to get better. That's a whole other sermon. <laughs> Sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel to someone that doesn't know or is confused about it. 
One thing that you're going to get on this blip of a ra- on the radar that, that we'll carry and we'll be thinking about. Remember that time when God was like, boom, and the light bulb came on and so-and-so's mind and spirit, and it was like eternity just shifted. And i got to be a part of it. You know that that opportunity has an expiration date on it. This isn't a have to. It's a get to. Verse 20. Now to him who is able, verse 20, Ephesians 3, sorry. Ephesians 3, right? So all of that, all of that, we behold it, we testify to it. And then verse 20, now to him who is able to do it more, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Because you're going to be soaking this thing in forever and ever and ever. So that's now. What about then? Right? Verse 15. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square. Its length the same as its width. Talking about the eternal city. Its length is the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. That kind of sounds familiar. Sounds a little bit, sounds a little bit like Ephesians 3. Remember, 12,000 stadia equals about 1,500 miles, okay? But that doesn't really matter at all because it's a symbolic number, Okay? Again, it's a reference to the number 12, which represents the apostles, and it represents the apostles. Like 12 multiplied by 1,000, which means a whole lot. That's what it means. We talked about this throughout this series. So it's a factor of the original 12 multiplied exponentially. And isn't this how the kingdom of heaven grows? Isn't it how the kingdom of God grows even upon the earth? Right? From the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles, the kingdom has expanded exponentially. And here is the measurement. Remember, this isn't just a place. It's a people. He's measuring the people of God as they will be in their full fruition. But in some sense, there's a measurement of it even now. Because you are all, if you are in Christ, you are factors of the original 12. So we're all in this, we're also seeing a reference to the most holy place in the temple where the manifest presence of God dwelled, right? So in that area of the temple, it was a perfect cube. In the holy of holies in the temple where the manifest presence of God dwelled on the earth in the Old Testament, it was designed as a perfect cube. The entire city here is represented as the manifest presence of God. The Holy of Holies is presented here as dwelling with humanity. The whole thing is the cube. It's measured that way. That's what we're looking to here. Again, these aren't literal numbers. They're symbolically conveying spiritual truths in a transcendent way about the nature of the new creation. So the entire universe is going to be filled with his manifest glory as if you were standing in the midst of the Holy of Holies. That's what heaven is. That's what it's conveying, right? But even in that moment, as we're standing in his manifest presence in the Holy of Holies for eternity and the universe is filled with his glory, even then we're still going to want to drink in every single inch of it and we're going to get to for eternity. This is heaven on the earth. We're going to get to measure it, to know the height and the depth and the length and the width because every inch is going to declare the love that God has for you in Christ Jesus and his goodness and glory and all of it. And you're going to be like, whoa! But we also get to be like that now. Verse 17. He also measured its wall. 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. What? So again, if you're trying to take this literally, John is like, right there, he says, stop it. You're reading it wrong if you're trying to do this literally. Again, the number is symbolic. 12 times 12 equals 144. 
right? Revelation does this a lot. We've seen this number a lot. Just in case you're still trying to make this literal, he says this is an angel's measurement. Don't miss the forest for the trees. This is telling you to use spiritual, biblical eyes. Ancient cities, again, they were considered safe according to how big their wall was, right? And this wall that's here is measured covenantally. It's measured by the covenant that he had with his people, the 12 apostles, the 12 tribes of Israel, compounded exponentially upon one another. In other words, this wall represents the embrace and protection of God over his people. Like, no citizen is more secure, protected, or safe than the inhabitants of heaven, the citizens of heaven. You are citizens of this holy city even now. But then you will have the physical embrace and manifest experience of being surrounded by the arms of the Father. We just sang about it. I am surrounded by the arms of the Father. That's what you're singing about. You know why that feels so good? It's because it's true. This is who we are. This is what we have to hope. This is our hope and what we get to look forward to, like the best truly is yet ahead, and yet we also get to taste it now. Verse 18. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. So again, jasper and gold are clear descriptions of its beauty. And most of the glass in the first century had sort of like a cloudy, muddy quality to it because their technology just wasn't there yet, right? So all of the glass, I don't know if you've seen like old glass, it looks really kind of muddy, right? Um, but so this would have communicated to the first century purity, absolute purity. Right? So this is looking to a future glory of perfection. And it also brings to mind, again, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. We talked about this last week. But it, it, that says, um, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. All right? You guys with me? This is what we're looking at here. So, verse 19. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. Don't get caught up in trying to figure out what all of these stones are. Again, this isn't just talking about a place, it's talking about a people. This, isn't a refer- this is a reference to God's covenant people. So don't get caught up trying to figure out what all these stones are or what it might look like on the floor, and then you miss the fact that there are 12 stones. In the Old Testament, the high priest who represented all the people of God would regularly come into the Holy of Holies, come before the holy place in the temple, and then present sacrifices before the manifest presence of God on behalf of God's covenant people, Right? And he would be clothed in a breastplate, and on that breastplate there would be 12 stones. And those stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. He was literally adorned before God with the beloved people of God in his presence. So it was all pointing to our ultimate dwelling place with God in his holy of holies that will saturate the entire universe, heaven on earth. It's the fulfillment of prophecies like Isaiah 54, verse 11 through 12, which says, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of agate, your gates of carbuncles, and all of your wall of precious stones. Now, I know that some of you right now are like, you have said way too many words that I can't understand, and I'm thinking about football right now. So here, catch this. I want you to get this. You know what antimony is? Antimony was a natural sulfide that's also known as stibnite, which was used as eye makeup. In fact, the word mascara comes from the Algerian town mascara, where antimony is most commonly found. It's a reference to the bride being prepared and adorned for her husband. I told you you need to pay attention. The 
imagery here isn't just talking about architectural buildings and, and stones and, and geology and geography. It's using architectural language to describe both a place and a people, the dwelling place of God and his people who will dwell together in intimacy. It's the marriage of the Lamb with you for eternity. You've got to have spiritual eyes to see that this city's foundations have been established by God's covenant with his people. It is the very foundation of this place. His word is true. This is the eternal fulfillment of his promises that find their yes and amen in Christ Jesus, who is the cornerstone of it all. So we got the foundation. You got the foundation? You go back and listen to this, you're going to be like, wow. I was... Now I understand. Okay. So we got the foundation. What about the gates? Gosh, I love this. Verse 21. Here we go. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl. Say single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So this is where people get the idea of the pearly gates of heaven. Right? But these gates ain't pearly. It's just one pearl. I don't even think it's a big pearl. I think it's a itty bitty pearl. Just a single pearl. That's the gate. Spiritual eyes. Each gate, single pearl. Like it goes out of its way to say that each gate is made of a single pearl. You got to see this with spiritual eyes. It's not a commentary on the structural integrity of the gate. Right? One giant pearl actually, it, like even a single, that seems weird, right? Like it's like, what, what's going on here? This description is speaking to way more than just the aesthetics or structural engineering of the gates of heaven. This vision is a callback to the parable that Jesus told in Matthew 13, verse 45 through 46, where he said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus is the pearl. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. He is the path to life. But Jesus has provided access to his kingdom for all who hunger and thirst. And they will come from every direction, every nation, tribe, and tongue from the ends of the earth. Gates that face the north, the south, the east, and the west. But they're all going through that same single pearl. Access to these gates comes through the testimony of God's people who have experienced the unrivaled value of this priceless pearl. Which again is access to the kingdom. Again, this gate isn't just pearly. It isn't, it, it, it's not about just being pretty. It's a single pearl because Jesus is the pearl. He is the way. Like realizing that nothing is more important than the, in this life than this pearl because this pearl is Christ the Savior King. P.S. This is why we read our Bibles. <laughs> Amen? Like if you rely upon culture to tell you about heaven, you're just going to think this gate is pearly and pretty. Right? Like we have greater access to the word of God than any other generation in the history of the world. And so I encourage you to enter into it daily. Like it's your life's sustenance. Because it is. It's so good. I want you to enter into it. If you have questions about the stuff that we're presenting here, ask away. Man, fire away. We want to walk through this stuff with you. If this is all overwhelming, I want you to press into that. God designed you for this. Even if it feels difficult or uncomfortable at first, do not do the whole thing. Well, that was just above my head. No! If it's above your head, reach up! Amen? And we're all here to help. Are you thirsty? If not, do you want to be? Ask him. Ask him. And speaking of entering in, it says once you enter through the pearl, the city is pure gold like transparent glass. Again, it doesn't mean everything's going to look like Donald Trump's bathroom, okay? <laughs> you guys got it? I hope none of you have ever seen that. It means everything will be as it was intended to be, right? Creation in its purest, most refined state. That's what it's saying. Martin Luther, the reformer from the 16th century, the one Martin Luther King was named after, was once asked what he would do if he knew that Jesus was returning tomorrow. I've used this a lot because I love it. 
What would you do if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow? Like if this was about to happen, right? You'd think maybe he'd say, I'd rush to tell my neighbors or share the gospel more, right? But he was already operating in that kind of urgency. So the only thing that he would do differently if he knew that his return would happen tomorrow is he said that he would plant a tree. <laughs> I love this. It's so good. He said he would plant a tree because he wanted to see how that tree grew in its purest state as it was created to grow in the uninhibited glory of God on the earth. Terra firma. Verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. This should sound familiar to you. Since you as God's people have been described even now as his temple upon the earth. We just read it in Ephesians 2 and 3. There are so many people who are waiting for the temple to be rebuilt in Jerusalem saying that this is a prerequisite for Christ's return. Look around you. And yet his temple, it's here because it's in you. You are his covenant people. You are his church. Living stones built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets whose house, who, they, who house the very presence of God. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit according to 1 Corinthians 6. So here we have the physical manifestation of the spiritual reality being portrayed for us in the consummate kingdom of heaven upon the earth. Right? And it says that he saw no temple because the whole universe is now the most holy dwelling place of the Lord. The whole universe is his temple. There's going to be no limits to his manifest presence. Right? This is what makes heaven so heavenly. This is what the Old Testament prophets like Ezekiel were talking about in verse 40 through like 48. He does a whole thing talking about the vision of the ultimate temple. This is what he was talking about. In, in fact, it says that he, the measuring rod, because get, we get a whole snapshot of this in uh, Ezekiel, and, and his measuring rod was a reed. This measuring rod is gold. In other words, you're getting a full throttle revelation. You're getting more. You're getting a glorified picture of the same temple. The whole thing is the temple, though. Because there is no temple here because the whole creation will be filled with his glory. It's all the temple. All right. Back to Revelation 21, verse 23. Here we go. And the city has no need or, of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. So this doesn't necessarily mean that the physical sun and moon are going to be gone. Like, maybe. God can do whatever he wants, right? He's God. And whatever he does, that's going to be the best. I trust him. Right? Hope you do too. However, I want you to remember that in the ancient world, the sun and the moon were conduits for illumination and enlightenment. Everything revolved around the cycles of the sun and the moon. By their light, society operated. But here, God is saying that his unending glory will be the light of the world. By it, you will see everything else. And I pray that by it, you see everything else now. Verse 24. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. What? Think about this. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into the, to it the glory and the honor of the nations. So real quick, when it talks about night, again, night and darkness is a reference to evil, because there's no more evil. doesn't mean there won't be night. doesn't mean if you're like, but we won't be able to see the stars. No, you're going to be able to plumb the depths of God's glory, okay? But what this is talking about here, where it says, like, I don't want you to miss this, because I think that this is one of my like, most favorite attributes of the new creation, that it talks about the nations, the kings of the earth, will bring their glory into it. They're going to bring the glory and the honor of the nations into its gates, John 1, 4 puts it like this. He says that in, in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. In other words, any light that emanates from godly people isn't coming from godly people. It's the way the Spirit of God uniquely manifests in and through those godly people whom he has made fearfully and wonderfully. Okay? And so here we see these fearfully and wonderfully made people being redeemed from all over the world and gathered together as an expression of God's glory. 
It's the fulfillment of multiple prophecies like Psalm 72.10. The kings of the nations will also bring their glory into the city, a glory that God gave them. Or Isaiah 60.11, people will bring to you, this talking about this holy city, the wealth of the nations. So one commentator put it like this. Follow me. Every good and beautiful thing from the old creation will be in the new creation. Nothing of beauty will be lost. Instead, it will be present in a perfected and incorruptible way. So all the best things from all the cultures, redeemed by the blood and displaying the goodness of God, is what will characterize heaven. Like, I'm talking about, like, the stuff you like about Bush Gardens, Right? Or like Disney's Epcot, where you're like, this culture is cool, and this culture is cool, and I like sushi, and but oh, look at these nachos, right? Like, <laughs> all of that stuff, that's what they're trying to get at. Heaven's going to be way better, way better, because all of that is displaying the glory of God. You follow me? All right. Verse 27. But... Nothing unclean will ever into it. Your nachos will never get soggy. Right? Nor, nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay? Now, I know this is a lot, right? But we're in the red zone here, okay? <laughs> we're in the red zone, um, and I really want you to drink in these next five verses, Okay? So I want you to dig deep, I want you to lean in, because this is everything. Verse 22, uh, or chapter 22, 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So he's always, we talked about the throne of God, he's putting God and the Lamb, because Jesus is God. He's making that, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, you're wrong. Like, this is what it's saying, they're together, okay? Again, Another sermon. I want you to see that this river, though, is the water of life, and it's the Holy Spirit. It's flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and it's a reference to, this is a picture of the Trinity itself. That's what we're seeing here. Psalm 46.4 says this. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. In John 4, Watch this. Jesus, Jesus has an encounter with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And, and the, the woman um, at, at the well, he asks her for a drink of water, and she's confused. Like, why would you ask anything from me? I'm like an outcast Samaritan. You're this, like, rabbi, a Jewish man. And then Jesus answers her and says in verse 10 of chapter 4, John 4.10 says this, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that's saying it to you, saying, saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And when you drink from the Holy Spirit, you're drinking from the true fountain of life. And just in case you're still not convinced, John 7, verse 37 through 39 says this, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. I love this. I love it. Like when Jesus stands up and is like, attention, please. Pay attention. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. This is what he starts with. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Not only will you drink from these waters, These waters will flow from you. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. He has now been glorified, and we have now received these living waters. Now this vision of the new creation should make more sense to you. As you see this and you see what it's getting at, this river is flowing from God and the Lamb. It's, again, a reference to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it flows, verse 2, through the middle of the street of the city. This is Main Street, right? Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life. On either side. Now, I don't think it's a tree over here and a tree over here. I think it's a tree that straddles this river. 
okay? The tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, okay? So fruit to eat, consume, to be nourished by. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Whew! This is a callback to Genesis 2.9, which talks about the trees in the Garden of Eden. It says that there was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In disobedience, we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This was how sin entered the world, right? It was humanity's rejection of God in order to be God. It was the attempt to know better than God. We still have this tendency. And the result was original creation's fall from grace. Shabam. Right? Humanity was kicked out of Eden, and access to the tree of life was cut off. Death occurs because you don't have access to the tree of life. And yet, here we're given a vision of the new Eden. I should do this. Right? It's the new and better Eden. The tree of life, right? I I want you to, it's in the middle of this new and better Eden. It's the tree of life because throughout the Bible, the cross of Christ is referenced as a tree. You ever read this and gotten confused? I know I used to. Like, what? The cross, he was hung on a tree. It says this a lot. Right, throughout the Bible, the cross of Christ is referenced as a tree, but it wasn't a tree. It was a cross. The Romans didn't hang people on trees. They built crosses. That's what they did. So why does the Bible refer to the cross as a tree so much? 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins and in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Acts 5.30 says the same thing. It talks about the cross as a tree. Acts 10.39, cross as a tree. Verse 13.29 talks about the cross as a tree. Galatians 3, verse 13 through 14 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it was written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, which is a reference to Deuteronomy 21, which explains the punishment for capital crimes. Then in verse 14 of Galatians 3, he says, So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Again, this is a reference to God's covenant with Abraham's descendants through the 12 tribes of Israel and then out through the 12 apostles to the nations. This is the great commission to make disciples who make disciples of all nations. Again, this is why we see so many numbers here that are factors of 12. It's a picture of disciples making disciples and the fulfillment of God's covenant with his people who conquer the enemy as Revelation 12 verse 11 said we would by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony for we love not our lives even unto death. And you know why? Because the pearl of great price is the greatest value in eternity and we understand that. We get that. So the entryway of the kingdom, the way, the truth, and the life is our top priority And the top priority of God's covenant people. This is the vision that we're given here in Revelation 21 and 22. It's a vision of the new creation. And yet we're tasting it even now in the overlap. Right? So again, if you've missed the image here, like right in the center of this holy city is the tree of life. Which is the cross! The fruit of the cross is the ransom of the nations. It's our ransom and it's leaves, the leaves of the tree. In the shadow of the cross, we find our refuge in healing. Like I know that there's so much to feast on here, but that's all right. You can take it to go, all right? You can enjoy it later. I want you to, for eternity, we're going to feast on the fruit of the tree of life, on the cross. But this isn't a feast that we have to wait for. We get to enjoy this abundant life now because it was a tree of death and cursing for Jesus. And now it has become the tree of life and blessing for us. Because God became a man. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserve to die. He conquered death in the grave. And he paved the way to eternal life that starts now. Not just one day when we die, but it starts now through the indwelling, intimate, personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
This image of God's people feasting from the fruit of the tree and watered by the river of life describes the nourishment of the citizens of heaven in this life and in the next. It's our spiritual nourishment now, but then it's going to be face-to-face, physical. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Do you want to be? Verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. As the old hymn put it, for I am his, and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Verse 5. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So this is a vision of the new and even better Eden. The source of our greatest joy, the source of our greatest joy now is the source of the living God. Right? We've been given access here and now in the overlap to drink from the river of life and eat from the tree of life. This is why we approach this word as the bread of life and we drink in his spirit through prayer and through worship and in community with each other this is why we prioritize these things this is why we don't just read the bible when the preacher is preaching right we make time for his word and prayer and people because he loves his word he loves you and he loves to talk with you and commune with you and he wants you to love people the way that he loves people because he is the pearl Because we know that in him is life, and his life is the light of men. He is nourishment, even now in this world. He is the source of eternal and abundant life, vibrant, abundant life that starts now. So the question isn't just, am I saved? The question is, are you thirsty? And if you're not, do you want to be? Jesus said faith the size of a mustard seed was enough to move mountains. Even the desire to thirst for him. Even just the desire to thirst. Even saying, I believe, help my unbelief. That's enough for him to unleash the floodgates of heaven in your heart. In this world, I'm going to close with this. We live in the overlap. We live in the already but not yet. We live in a world where fears can captivate our hearts and steal our joy. But fear is a liar. It's an addictive drug, though. It's an addictive drug that will force you to think of your future without Jesus in it. We live in a world that's inundated by this fear. Lies, confusion, and conflicting information that saturate the airwaves and dominate our conversations. It's all the clickbait of Satan. You need to hear this. Headlines like, World War III has started. And then you look at it and it's like it's a promo for a video game. But your soul is like, oh my gosh. Right? That stuff gets in our souls, and it gets into our conversations. Risen church, listen to me. You must fix your gaze upon Jesus in this world. You must look to him for your daily bread, here and now, in each present moment. You must trust him to be in your future. You must trust him with your future. Because many of you are paralyzed by a future that's not even real. What we're beholding here in Revelation is the only future that's true. Do you hear that? This is the only future that's real, and it's more real than real. It's everything. In fact, it's not only real in our future. It's a city that we have spiritual access even to now. What are you feasting on? What are are those springs that you're drinking from? Where is your focus? Philippians 4, Paul put it like this. He's sitting in prison, and in verse 4 of Philippians 4, he says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, verse 8, as he's sitting in prison, chained up, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Why? Because these are the things of heaven. These are the things of heaven. Focus on them. Live heavenly minded. This is what he's calling you to do even if you're in prison chained to some stanky guard, right? That's a new word for you. I don't even stink. I don't know, whatever. 
Paul wrote that from a situation. He was not naive to the fallen state of the world, but he was a tenacious man in putting these circumstances in their rightful place. And I pray that you would too, because their rightful place is under the feet of a good and sovereign and victorious Savior King. Revelation is our victory unveiled. There's a short confession that I want to use here. A lot of people use it for the children. We use it for our kids, but this is for you too, not just kids. So repeat after me. I am a child of the king who is not moved by this world, for my God is with me and goes before me. I do not fear because I am his. I got more, but I got to pray. Let's pray.